Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond the Game podcast presented by prep to prep On behalf of prep to prep content editor Nate Smith and prep to prep senior editor Harold Aubin, I am Danny Kata, president and founder of prep to prep Today is the third and final part of our series on the future of high school football. To continue the discussion, we present a roundtable of esteemed Bay Area high school football coaches touching on what youth football might look like in the next five to ten years. We hope you enjoy our conversation with De La Salle coach Justin Allenbaugh, Cardinal Newman coach Paul Cronin, Liberty coach Ryan Partridge, and Wilcox coach Paul Rosa. To continue the discussion about the future of high school football, Nate and I are joined by prep to prep senior editor Harold Abend and four highly successful Bay Area high school football coaches. Paul Cronin is entering his 18th season at Cardinal Newman High School in Santa Rosa. He was named the prep to prep North Coast Section Coach of the Year in 2019 after leading his team to the CIF 3AA State Championship. His teams have won five NCS championships to go along with three CIF State Bowl appearances. And this past season, he became just the 13th coach in uh, NCS history to reach 200 wins. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really excited. Justin Allenbaugh is entering his eighth season as head coach of the nationally acclaimed De La Salle football program in Concord. His teams have continued the De La Salle tradition of excellence by extending the winning streak against Northern California competition to an astonishing 310 games. In all seven of the seasons at the helm, De La Salle has reached the CIF Open Division Championship game, winning the title in 2014 and 2015. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. Paul Rosa is entering his sixth season as head coach at Wilcox High School in Santa Clara. He led Wilcox to a CIF Division 3A state championship in 2018 when he was named CIF Coach of the Year, and his teams have won back-to-back SCVA titles and are currently on a 14-game league winning streak. As a baseball coach, Paul led Wilcox to two CCS championships and four SCVAL titles. He is also currently the athletic director at Wilcox. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ryan Partridge is entering his fourth season as head coach at Liberty High School in Brentwood. He has taken the Liberty football programs to new heights as his teams have gone 34-5 and during his tenure. In his first season, 2017, Liberty won the NCS Division I title and in 2018, Liberty won the CIF State Division 1A Championship. Ryan is also the Athletic Director at Liberty. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Danny. So our first challenge is to make sure our listeners can distinguish between the voices of the two Pauls on the panel. So Coach Cronin, let's start. Football landscape in five to 10 years. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I know around here, this area, the thing that's taken over our youth game is uh, the flag football. And it's just so convenient for parents. It's a drop off on Sunday, let them practice an hour and then play um, for an hour and then the parents come watch them. So I think it's so convenient and they're having such a great time. I could see that kind of being um, a big part of football in our community for the next 10 years. As far as the Pop Warner, it seems like those are kind of the, the families will push those. You might have a dad that played. Um, college football or high school football had a great experience and he has kind of a cluster of kids he gets together and then he'll get a group and they'll kind of go all the way through the you know the peewees all the way to the midgets and make a run but that's more generated by a, a dad or a dad slash coach now one of the interesting conversations that we had in the first episode was with uh, Sarah coach Patrick Walsh and one of the things he said which really stood out to me was you're either playing football or you're not playing football um, and, and so, Justin, how do you how, how do you merge the two? Like with with, with, with obviously flight football. You know, I'm, I'm a soccer coach myself, and futsal is sort of the maybe the flight football equivalent of, of, of soccer. 
in that it's it's a very similar obviously to, to the sport of soccer but it's different uh, and same same kind of goes with flag football but how do you how do you uh, how do you look at the, the, the relationship between flag football and tackle football a lot of correlation and I mean let's be honest everybody wants the ball so it, I mean, and that's a good way to start but you know all, all the coaches on here know that the, the hardest thing is when a lineman <laughs> lineman so, offensive lineman and defensive lineman somehow try to work their way in to get the ball so um, you know flight football is a great place to start <clears throat> you know it's not tackle football um, but it is there are a lot of similarities and like coach Cronin was saying you know participation numbers in pop Warner and all that are going down I think things can be cyclical um, there's a I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of an uptick because you know it is a beautiful game and it's, it's a great sport if it's done properly and if it's coached properly um, it's very safe uh, that being said a lot understandably uh, you know they worry about you know they worry about the, the direct contact and the you know the, the violent nature and the contact nature of the sport uh, but they still love it and they still love getting their kids active so fly football is sort of a natural jumping point I think it's a great thing because it, it exposes kids first of all it gets them outdoors it gets them out running around but it exposes kids to what could you know what could potentially be in their future and what is great game um, and it kind of gets the foot in the door and, and you know I get asked this a lot you know does it worry you about pop order numbers but it's like football numbers are going, going up if kids are being active and they're out there and they're learning any portion of the game of football I think that's a real positive I think that's a good thing so it's to me um, you know I think you got to look at it holistically I think you got to look at it look at it as a whole how many kids are out there participating in some form um, of football you know like t-ball t-ball is not baseball <laughs> but kids are out there and they're doing something they're playing they're playing a version of what the game is and, and you got to look at it in that regard um, and you know there's a lot of numbers that are actually really promising and you know Pat's done a great job with that you know what he's been doing with next level has been pretty incredible and it's it's kind of caught fire and it exposes a lot of I mean, my own nephew has no, had no interest in playing football at all, and you know he did flag football. So it's you know it was kind of neat to see in that regard. Now, now coach, now coach Rosa, you uh, you know you guys instituted a, a freshman team a few years ago, and I know you've mentioned that that's been a huge factor in in, in really bringing Wilcox football to the next level. Can you talk a little bit about participation at Wilcox, you know, as a as a public school, and, and some of the some of the ways you've been able to overcome um, the declining participation that Justin alluded to. Uh, yeah, I think the, the big difference in having the freshman team is kids are more apt to play football for the first time if they know they're going to play with a bunch of people that are playing for the first time. And I, I noticed in years before when I was coaching baseball, people weren't going out for football because they were parents were nervous or they were nervous about playing against sophomores that had played a whole year's experience and having that freshman team in a public school setting makes a big difference just in a sense of getting kids out there and they're comfortable playing with kids uh, that haven't played before as well and so it's a learning experience for them all and the kids that are that maybe have played Pop Warner you know we may put them on the, the Frost Soft team it gives us some flexibility there to to get kids to feel comfortable on it one thing I'd say about flag football is um, you know like the heavier set kid the lineman type kid that kid seems to not play flag so much and, and they're brand new coming out to, to football in high school regardless and all of us know you know you win and lose games up front on the line and, and I think the key is to try to get those those linemen type kids out and really 
Like we have a rule in our program, don't run the linemen out of the program. You know, the first year, freshmen, we're not running them 50-yard sprints. We're just hitting the sled, stuff like that. Somehow we got to hook those those linemen kids in the first couple years. I think that's that's a big key of having the freshman team as well. We, we had a cardiologist, pardon me, we had a neurologist on the first podcast, Dr. Javier Cardenas, uh, who specializes in concussion. And one of the things he did mention is while he is really, really in favor of flag football, it doesn't offer the same opportunities for the bigger kids because it's a game that's based on speed. So, I mean, what I'm curious as to, you know, the bigger kids, how can they, how can they be integrated in without a lot of just hard hitting in the beginning, which is what scares some parents. I, I, I would like to know about that. Because the bigger kids, like you say, you've got to have big kids in football. Let's face it, you know? It's a contact sport. But Ryan, Ryan, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, what I, you know, through my research and just going to some of these clinics and hearing USA Football talking about their new rookie tackle type platform, uh, where it's, you know, more three linemen on the field, a smaller field, less space to run around. I think that's an opportunity to integrate in some of these these football programs and Pop Warner programs that are stuck on 11-on-11 football and not willing to expand. I think they really need to look themselves in the eyes and break up these teams and, you know, make them teams of 9-10 kids where there's, you know, five or six guys on each side of the ball and, um, you know, you can get the heavier set kids still blocking drills. There's no, there's no three-point stance. Every lineman's in a two-point stance keeping their head out of the game. And I think that's a good place to start. You know, I haven't seen it live or anything, but by the presentations that I've seen and heard people talk about it, it's been pretty successful uh, in, in ways to get all types of, of football players, real football reps, but in a safer manner on a smaller field uh, with less people running around. Thank you. You know, one of the subject that came up with uh, with Dr. Cardenas, and I thought it was really interesting the way he broke it down, was essentially there are four different types of sports that he was he was outlining um, with regards to head injuries. There's there's combat sports, which obviously are the most dangerous, and the intention of the sport is to in- inflict uh, head, head trauma. Um, there's, there's collision sports, which obviously football and, and other sports like hockey fall into. There's contact sports, which a vast majority of sports I would say fall into, like soccer and other sports like that. And then, of course, there's non-contact sports, you know, like tennis and that sort of thing. But you know, you, you guys are all heads of very successful football programs. But how important is the, the physical aspect and the the danger? I would say even of, of football, uh, a, a big part of the overall experience of of, of building, you know, young men of character and, and, and this whole idea of teamwork and brotherhood. Um, and just that whole, uh, the whole essence of football. Uh, Paul, Coach Croyner, why don't you answer that one to start with? Yeah, so that's, a, that's a big question. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what you're trying to do as a coach, right? You want to get your uh, players to be able to recognize things quickly using their eyes so they're not in danger. I think when it's the most dangerous is when you're extremely young and you don't know what's going on out there. That's that's always been my thought. You know, I played Pop Warner as a kid. Um, I still can't remember one thing I learned in Pop Warner other than the most aggressive person won. And that's where I, I kind of think looking at someone that has a good high school program that can teach kids of how to properly tackle, properly block, and understand the game, 
that's when you become protected as an athlete. And I think that's for any sport, you know, like in any field um, and, and jump into a game that I understand, that's from a greatest danger. So I think that's our job as coaches in every sport to make sure the kids understand the game. And the better they understand the game, the more they use their eyes and get themselves in better positions, the more they're going to protect themselves. I think that's the goal. And I think that's the goal of all coaches in high school, um, as, as far as I can understand. And just, you know, one of the things that came up with Dr. Cardenas is the idea of, of a kind of a, a, a staged approach uh, to, to teaching football. There's there's the non-contact kind of flag football or touch football sort of variety. And then there's, you know, maybe there's a transition between that and full, full-fledged contact uh, tackle football. He mentioned the idea of like, you know, kind of like wrapping without bringing the player to the ground as a means of tackling somebody. Uh, have you heard much about that? And if so, what are your thoughts about that? I have, yeah. Um, I've seen some presentations on it, and like Coach Parks was just talking about, it makes it makes sense um, because if you're going to play the game of football, ultimately it is. It's a, it's a collision sport, and you have to get to that at some point. Um, you know, but we we coach high school, and it's it's all about building blocks. And we get a lot of kids that are freshmen; they've never, you know, there's an increasing number of kids that have never played football before, and you got to take it a lot slower. Um, and then when we all played, it wasn't slow at all when we showed up fresh, you know, as freshmen. Um, and you got to, you got, you know, find that intermediary between that flag football where there's no, where there's no contact and no collisions at all. And ultimately getting, you know, ultimately getting guys colliding, but colliding in a safe way. Obviously, a lot of the rugby tackling has helped. Um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the changes in the way that the game is played. A lot of the, a lot of the changes in the way that. It's you know it's re- it's reft and we're allowed to we're allowed to teach it and coach it has made a lot of changes. I mean, you know, I told our I had to tell our um, our parents uh, at our parent meeting there was more there's more last year obviously not this year because of uh, baseball didn't have a season. The baseball team had more concussions than our varsity football team um, two two years ago. We had two concussions, um, and that was something I took a lot of pride in. And one of the concussions was our long snapper that snapped the ball, slipped, and then bumped his head on the turf. So I don't, I don't even count that one. I don't think that's fair to count. So we, we realistically had one one concussion on our varsity football team, um, and that's simply because we've been trying to do building blocks. And we, and we take a lot of pride in our lower levels teaching and coaching it. You know, they, they don't need to be out there colliding <laughs> all the time. You know, as freshmen, slowly but surely bringing it on. And then ultimately, at the varsity level, um, you know, you got to play the game at, at, at some point. Um, I think the intermediary, you know, that middle point does exist right now in the way that we're, that we're forced and understandably forced to, to practice. We're not allowed to, you know, have that much collision in practice these days. Um, and a lot of our practice is spent, you know, doing that, you know, that halfway collision where guys aren't being brought to the ground. Um, linemen aren't mauling each other for the entire time, but they are creating some contact, and that's where obviously the walking bags and um, the rule changes with our practices have, have gone a long way in that regard. And to be honest, our practice looks completely different than even it did five and ten years ago, and certainly 20, 30 years ago. And um, if you came to any of our practices during the middle of the week, um, I think you're going to see that middle ground where it's not flag football, but it's not really collision football that you're going to see on Friday nights as well. And because of that, our kids are a lot safer than they, than they have been, really ever in the game of football. The, right now, I think, and, and Ryan, you might be the best one to answer this, um, as we, you know, as you move forward closer to being able to get out there on the field and work out with our teams right now, maybe we're even seeing a microcosm of that, Justin, 
as we're you know we're going to see phased reintroductions to workouts potentially without equipment without even potentially without even footballs when we first go out there and how much of an opportunities does that give you guys ryan how much of an opportunity does that give you guys to do things like run through fits and you know tackle fits and things like that you know with, without a football and without going full speed collision how much does that play into the learning curve with tackling and collision yeah i mean we um we try to do our our tackling you know say footwork type stuff all year long if we can and you know get it into our conditioning or footwork work so we're going to run our square to profile drills you know we're tracking the hip and you know we can do that in class we can do that after weights and, and make it part of our conditioning session and this goes off what justin and what what Paul said about you know understanding leverage and teaching leverage all year long and um and tracking the ball carrier and getting your your foot your your shoulder your plant foot down your head in the right position that type of stuff you can teach all year long and you know it, it would be nice to even you know i mean essentially flag football is you know if for, for little kids you know these things might be a little advanced but we do have some pretty damn simple drills that you could put into flag football play to make their flag football game better you're getting your hands to their hips to pull the flags that's about where we want our hands when we're about to tackle someone and if we could implement that into the really lower levels even flag football like how many flag football teams do you think do tackling drills or flag grabbing drills you know where there should be you know a systematic way of, of, of teaching that you know if we you know us coaches could get into our flag programs to teach them what a tackling circuit looks like for flag football I mean that could be a developmental phase of, of, of you know of teaching safe tackling with with zero contact but we're gonna do that I mean we're gonna have tackling circuits even when we have 12 players at a time and, and we're slowly getting into this thing that's the first thing that we really want to do it's going to be involved you know in our conditioning one of the big things and justin you um you alluded to this you know talking about where, what your practices looked like five ten years ago and to me i try to recall last week we had a great discussion with a group of coaches this is another great group of coaches you know with some great insight and, and do you guys recall these conversations happening you know 20 years ago, you're sorry, right? You might have been in elementary school. Um, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, were these conversations happening? You know, is that what led us to get to the point where people started to view football with some, you know, some reserved judgment? And if these conversations keep happening, how great can it look for our sport in five to 10 years as coaches embrace these discussions? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, uh, um, it really is. I think what happened probably 10 to 15 years ago was the programs that had a lot of success were doing the same things we're doing now. You don't have a ton of contact during practice because you know that you want to teach the fundamentals and make sure everybody's safe and in a good spot to move forward before the contact happens. I think what the thing these rules are doing now is maybe the coaches that are just coming in that don't have a great base of uh, knowledge yet to coach it's slowing them down because like anything if I went to 
coach a basketball practice right now, which I know nothing about basketball, I'm assuming I would just get them in a five and a five scrimmage. That would be the easiest thing for me to do. And football is hard, as you guys know. I mean, it's it's a small to whole type practice thing. So you might scrimmage only ten minutes that day. So really, the contact part of the practice isn't the biggest thing. It's learning to build up to what you're going to do during that contact part of the practice. And, and Paul at Wilcox, I was you know you 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 run into competition with, with teams that um, certainly aren't don't have as strong as programs as you do at Wilcox, uh, even in your league. And I'm wondering how, what's the responsibility like for for coaches like like this like this panel, which obviously well established programs, to help the the lesser established programs to to be able to address these kind of issues, uh, you know, safety issues, as in, especially. Um, I know I don't know about helping other programs, but I know we have we help our Pop Warner program out a lot. You know, we have a lot of coaches that come from that program, and uh, I think what they had said before, you know, you. You change the way that you played. I mean, I remember 15 years ago, people thought, go hit as hard as you can and you just become tougher and tougher and tougher. The more you hit, the more you hit. And, and it was just, that's obviously not the case. The one positive thing I would say about Pop Warner, though, if you've ever watched, like, a, I don't know, a 10-year-old Pop Warner game, they don't really move fast enough to really to hurt anybody that age, right, for the most part. So you're watching, like, a bunch of kids run around it's kind of a good age to learn how to tackle because it's like when you learn how to drive, you're going to go drive on in a parking lot first going 10 miles an hour, and then you go onto the street, and then you get on the freeway. The tough part about the freshman team, and when you're playing good teams, you know, if you if you got to go play De La Salle and your freshmen have never played before, no matter what, you're going to go on the freeway Saturday morning or Friday night, right? And that, that's a fast transition. So I would say... A good positive thing about a good solid Pop Warner program that go by the rules that, that we go by with the contact time and all that is they're learning how to tackle and hit at a slower pace, right? You're not running, you know, 220-pound kids aren't running full speed at each other. You know, they're 50, 60 pounds, and they kind of learn how to play at a slower pace and learn how to tackle that way. I notice a big difference with kids that come in that have played it just a couple years of Pop Warner um, in the, their form tackling and how to play behind your pads. You know, if you if you put on a helmet for the first time, it feels weird to put your face into something and it's not going to hit your face, right? So it's a, I think it's that part of it, there's a catch-22 there as well. It's like you have the, the good parts of Pop Warner, but then you also have the rogue coaches that make it bad for everybody else. And we try to, we try to help our lower program that way. But as for the high schools, um, we don't. We, I, I don't know how. That, that's a good question. I don't know how we would, you know, help programs that are struggling. I think it really comes down to numbers, and really, principals hiring coaches that are on campus, and principals hiring coaches that that are doing the right things for football, and that's what it comes down to. I think you can pick and choose which principals and which programs out there are really have football as a high priority by how who they hire and. and and you know how much time and effort is put into football. Yeah, now, now Justin, obviously you're running a program at, at the highest level. Um, imagine, I mean, you guys all are really high level programs, but Justin, of course, yours is on, on a national um, basis, and that sort of limits the pool of the type of competition that that you guys can run across. But how concerned are you about the 
the overall scope of high school football. I mean, if it, I, I feel like even though you guys are De La Salle, if if if, if some you know malpractice, for example, occurs at, a, at another school like that's not a strong football program, um, not to say it's not to say it's your responsibility, but but how do you how do you react to something like that? And how, how much do you feel like you're kind of a guardian of the game in that sense? I think we're all guardians of the game. I mean, right before this, right before this call, um, this is something that uh, Coach Lattice are kind of ingrained um, in me at a young age. That <clears throat> I think it's our, it, I think it's our duty to constantly be learning, and I think it's our our duty to constantly sharing what we have. Um, you know, the health of the game kind of supersedes, you know, me as the Dallas South football coach, and it's, you know, a, a lot of times you have to put that as a priority above, you know. You know the day-to-day of what we're doing is hard. Um, uh, it's difficult to do, you know, because we're all very busy, and it's, it's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to make our, our own programs great. But ultimately, uh, the sport's only as healthy as it is across you know our sections and you know our state, and ultimately you know across the nation. And um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I don't think there's ever any a benefit of a pandemic or anything like that. But one of the things that this has forced us to do is to really talk to each other um, and come up with a lot of ideas about how everybody's uh, how everybody's doing different things. I've been on more, I, I, I've you know been on more Zooms and um, coaches coaching clinics than I ever had. You know, I, they'd say, you know, come on up to Reno for this clinic. I go, I you know, I have a two year old and a one year old. <laughs> I can't get up there now. You know, Coach Barcher's invited me to you know his cousin's one that he held. It was it was awesome. And I was just on a Zoom with some coaches um, that were asking about some you know some walking things and i think this has forced us to you know have some conversations about best practices and um like coach rose was talking about that if, if if we it only takes a few you know sort of bad apples and that doesn't just have to be the coaches it can be administrations i'm very blessed to deal with south they support football they support us as coaches and they give us they give us what we need um and if, if you have a program or if you have programs that, that are not supported, uh, you're hiring the wrong coaches, you don't have coaches that are on campus, and you don't have support from administrators, it, it sours the entire experience, and that kind of spreads. You know, you get you get one team dropping from the EBAL or the NCS, that hurts everybody, um, and, it, and it, it hurts the overall health of the game. So the, the more discussions we have about best practices, the more discussions that we have about what we're doing well, I think it just elevates, you know, the game of know across our sections and across our state and you know that that makes the health of the game better than it ever has been it keeps our kids safer i'm looking forward to seeing what a lot of the statistics say you know a handful of years down the road from where we are right now because of the changes that we've been implementing and because you know dedicated coaches like everybody that's here trying to make necessary changes to you know to let our kids do something that they love and play what i think is the best team game um, on the planet but also keeping them safe, you know. The practices that were used 20 years ago when my father played at UCLA in 1969, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. <laughs> they shouldn't have been doing it ever. Um, but science, you know, we have to pay attention to the science. You know, my my dad's first water break at UCLA uh, was first water break he ever got playing football. His entire life was when he was a senior at UCLA. They gave him 30 seconds to run over to the trough and get it, and it was salt water because they thought, well, salt is going to help you not cramp, and then water is going to help you not cramp. So here's some salt water. And no, you know, there's there's changes. You know, we, we need to be open to change, and um, you know, when you get when you get dedicated coaches trying, you know, trying to create some positive momentum, I think it's 
you know, it helps the overall health of the game, and it makes it makes everybody, you know, open their eyes to how beautiful of a game it can be. Hey, the word trough really evokes an image. I mean, that, that, that alone. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, Ryan, can you speak a little bit to the 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 uh, camaraderie of coaches? I guess I think it's unique to high school football. Uh, as, as opposed, I mean, it happens in all sports, of course, but but particularly with football and this, the the sharing of knowledge. Um, speak a little bit about, about that and how that works and how that sort of helps uh, keep football rolling. Yeah, I mean, you know, with technology nowadays, it's even easier to keep in touch with people. But, um, you know, especially in this pandemic, you know, like Justin was said, the, the opportunities that I've had to uh, touch base with, you know, other programs all throughout the, the whole entire country. You know, I've had been on calls and Zoom calls with and clinics and, um, there's a huge brotherhood within within coaching, and just like Coach Rosa was saying, it's like I guess that what, you know what what we what we're doing to help each other's program is not necessarily like you know going to talk and to the 0 and 10 team about hey you guys suck at tackling, you know, but it's you know it's up to that coach to reach out and and gain knowledge, and uh, I think you know I've never. Really, maybe some scheme stuff where coaches don't feel comfortable sharing what they do. But when it comes to techniques and culture, I think that you know coaches are wide open and an open book for the most part on letting know how they do things and you know what helps kids. Because you know, especially with you know all of us being from what I think on campus coaches. Um, you know, we're doing it for the right reason. We're doing it to help young men become become good men, and um, we're all in this together to, to to build these young men. And whether it's football or not, they, uh, what we share with each other, and you know, it's like they say it's a copycat league. You know, the NFL. Well, we're all kind of copycatting each other in, in certain ways and in different ways to to give the best experience for our student athletes. Well, and Ryan, I I have to jump in for one second. Here because you mentioned the copycats and how much football coaches help each other and it makes the game better. And at the same time, I'm hearing Paul earlier, uh, Cronin that is, since we have the two Pauls on here. Paul Cronin talked about how the best way to make one of the, one of the best ways to make this game safer is for people to read and read and recognize what's going on and know the game. And so I have to also tell him because I don't think I've ever told him he's the reason I started playing checkers with my quarterbacks. You know, we, we, we talk about we steal things, and, and that was something I stole from him at a clinic a long time ago. And the reason I started playing checkers with my quarterbacks, well, you know, in an easy way, away from a safe way to get people to read and understand the game. Um, and I think we all share ideas like that that make um, the game continue getting better, you know, as, as we go forward. And so, you know, I appreciate the fact that you guys are, are four guys who are always willing to do that with anybody who asks. I think Coach Cronin graduated up to chess now, though, Nate. No, I'm still on checkers. and Still on checkers? I'm old that from uh, Jeff Tedford, right? It's still from him. I had a chance to sit down with him and do a quarterback meeting. And actually, uh, I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, we actually did that on Zoom today with our quarterback, so still doing it. Yeah, Jeff Jackson Pavick's mind was blown a bit when I asked him. I said, I said hey, so how are your how are your checkers sessions going? I think it was the middle of last year when I was interviewing him. How are he goes, Coach, how do you know about that? I said, Coach, just talk, Jackson. We we don't hold a lot of secrets back from each other. You know, they, they, these are, we, everybody wants to get better by doing the game the right way. You know, it's, un, it's unfortunate that we're, we're in this situation that we are right now. But, you know, in a way, 
right? It's like all you coaches said. We wouldn't be having we wouldn't be having this roundtable discussion and this brainstorming session, and we wouldn't be able to disseminate and glean all this information from you guys and, and pass it on to people if we weren't in this situation. So there are, there are some positives, but you know I, I know it's been tough, and it's tough keeping the kids motivated. Uh, but hopefully uh, things are going to be turning around real soon. Yeah, now obviously it's the elephant in the room, or one of the elephants in the room. There's quite a few elephants in the room in 2020, but obviously the, the pandemic's a big one here, and we're starting to hear some some rumblings about uh, you know return to play. Um, Ryan, I'll ask you kind of in a long term, from a long term perspective. Obviously, you know you, you, we're going to react to how things are how things play out over the next few weeks here. But do you see do you see this this situation with the pandemic affecting or impacting? sports in general but also football longer term and is it more like an uh, an awakening for us to kind of think about things that maybe we didn't think about so much before this pandemic hit yeah i mean it's interesting and i think we're going to learn as we get out on the field more but um just how 9-11 changed things at airports and whatnot you know I, i i can foresee spray bottles at every squat rack and how is sharing water going to be affected you know, um, our players going to have to wear gloves. Just different things like that. But you know, as as we um, and, and just taking temperatures of players is that going to be an everyday thing for the rest of time? You know, I just I just don't know. But I think we're going to learn a lot more as we get out on the field and we kind of check off the list of things that we need to do. Uh, we might find that some of them we don't really need to do and, and I have a feeling we're going to have, have to do a lot more um, I think long term this is you know the cleanliness and the um, antibacterial and all that stuff is, is probably here to stay it's just going to become you know part of the way of life and the game Coach Rosa, can you speak to the challenges you face at Wilcox um, during the situation you know, with Zoom meetings and all that? Yeah, I mean the biggest challenge for us is we have a, you know, we have we we we're lucky we have a bunch of on-campus coaches, so we, we mentor a lot of kids early on and kids that aren't used to going to school every day or whatever problems they have. We have face-to-face with those kids, and they they need that face-to-face. They need that structure and we're not able to give that structure. You know, I would say maybe five to 10% of our kids just no-show class this whole time. We had, you know, we're trying to text them, text their uncles or cousins, right? And uh, that's that's the biggest challenge. The one thing I would say though, is I think, you know, you never, you never know how much you love something till you lose it. Like in a sense of, you know, people hated the grind of football, right? Everybody talks about the grind and, and this these dog days. They would give anything to go back to those to that grind, right? They people would volunteer to go run fifteen hundreds right now, right? They so it's the I think the good part about it is I think some people out there are actually missing that part, and especially the camaraderie of the team part. That that's the biggest thing is you don't you know like like Coach um, Justin said about. It's the ultimate team sport. It really is. There's no, there's no other sport like it. I mean, and so when you, you you don't have everybody together, you really understand how important it is, and, and kids are really missing that. I, I know that for sure. And, Justin, how are you guys handling it at the LSL? 
think as best you can. Um, like Coach Rose was talking, we're we're entering a return to return to workout protocol, um, and I don't think you've ever seen a, a bunch of teenagers so excited about being told that they're gonna they're gonna be conditioning. <laughs> I mean, they uh, they were they were excited. They're not normally excited because uh, you know they're kind of bored or they're lonely. You know, uh, we're not meant to be you know kind of stuck indoors and isolated and all that. Um, it's, it's been a challenge, you know, because the, our off season, our off season work is hugely integral to what we do. Um, our school did a great job of shifting to online. Um, we didn't have to, we weren't just giving passing grades yet. Uh, attendance was mandatory. I got a text from our Dean every night. If any of my kids um, were late or didn't attend the class that they're supposed to, I got really annoyed with those texts. I got sick of getting them every night. Uh, but there's only one or two that was on there uh, most of the time. So our kids did a good job in that regard. But um, we, we were able to track their workouts. They had to post to us what they were doing. We had some team competitions and things like that. So we had, you know, we had the infrastructure and the ability to, to manage this situation pretty well. And I, 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 feel, um, I feel lucky in that regard. I know a lot of schools don't have um, as much capability in that regard. But ultimately... You cannot replace face-to-face relationship building. Um, you know, there's some kids that are coming up from the JVE that I don't know that well. And by now, I would have known them very well. We would have had, we would have been having our workouts, and I'd have a relationship with them. Some of them I do, but a lot of them I don't. You know, we have some high, higher-level freshman kids that are going to be sophomores now. You know, that we're working out with the varsity here now. You know, I haven't had a lot of exposure to them. And, um, that's been a challenge, and we've tried to be creative with the zooms and all that stuff, and that helps. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, we're social we're social creatures, and we're meant to be around each other, and we're meant to see each other face to face, and you know, to have an emotional connection. And I'm looking forward to having that again. It's been a challenge, something that we've weathered pretty well. I'm happy to hear that there's some loosening up. Obviously, I understand, um, you know, the science behind the science behind everything. It's it's good to see some positive momentum going up. Just to follow up, uh, you know, we, we alluded to the 310-game unbeaten streak against Northern California opposition, and for you guys to compete with teams of your level, you have to travel. And now, so you're in a, in a unique situation. I I, have, I don't know your schedule, your 2020 schedule off the top of my head, but I'm assuming there's some travel involved. Now, how does that impact your your schedule making? It doesn't help. <laughs> the, uh, it's a good question. Yeah, we're supposed to. Our first game is supposed to be in Texas. Um, August 29th uh, against the reigning state champion North Shore. I've been in contact with uh, Coach K. He's, he's a good guy, and um, Texas started loosening up a little bit um, with some of their their guidelines recently. Ultimately, we have about a June 15th um, go or not go date. Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's just so many moving parts about everything that's going on. There's no doubt about it. Like Coach Partridge was talking about this. This is going to force people to be creative, and it's going to force everyone to kind of band together and try and figure out um, how scheduling can happen. You know, we don't know if there's going to be fans and all this, so there's there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of moving parts, and I, I I've been dealing with a lot of moving parts, um, getting to kind of tired of it. But you know, it goes it goes with the, it goes with the game. Um, we're you know we would love to go out to Texas. That's why we scheduled it. Um, you know, I'm really happy with the team that we have coming back and. Uh, we went out to Texas a handful of years ago, and the Friday Night Lights thing is real. It was crazy. Uh, my wife went out, and it took it took her 30 minutes just to walk into the stadium to get through the the giant tailgate. Not 
she was looking forward to going back. Um, uh, but it's going to create it's going to create some conflicts and it's going to create some problems. Um, ultimately, I don't think any of us know exactly what the year is going to look like, and I think we're going to have to adapt um, with every couple of weeks when things you know when there's new announcements coming from the health department. I think we're going to have to, as coaches, kind of band together and figure out as best we can to make sure that our kids have an opportunity to play. Coach Crony, can you speak a little bit to the the importance of football in your community? Yeah, I, I definitely could. The thing I like to, I guess, piggyback is it, I just we I know all the coaches probably feel it's a huge obligation to the kids, um, the seniors especially, and making sure that we do everything we can to allow them the opportunity to play. I think that's so important um, on all levels because I think that's what at some some level we're missing this this pandemic and I understand the seriousness of it and, and obviously people have been affected a great deal but you just feel for the people that are, are under 25 and the things that have been taken away from them that were normal and they looked forward to and then probably put years of time into going about making that junior senior year special so I mean I think the pressure uh, has never been greater on coaches in California just to figure out a way to make this work in whatever way we can for those, those kids that deserve the opportunity to play not only football but all sports I and mean, that's it's almost a it's a stressful time for for coaches right now I feel it uh you know when I talk to my senior kids I, I um I, I'm nervous uh, for them I just feel so so hurt that they have to go through this and I want to make sure that I do everything I can and, and do not leave a stone unturned to give them the opportunity to have a normal senior year or close to normal senior year. And I think, you know, that's, that's uh, it's a lot of pressure. I'm sure the other coaches feel that too. It's just like, man, it's a lot of sleepless nights going on right now because we are um, here for the kids and it's so important that we do everything we can for those kids to make sure that they can, be, they can experience the things that they deserve to experience with their teammates. But as far as, you know, what the what football means to our community and the family it's it's a big part of their life a lot of people have been uh, going to the game since they were in elementary and they've watched other players you know play and it's it's something that you you know, hear a lot from seniors that when they're leaving they go I remember watching you know Scooby Wright when he was a junior play and I wants to do that it's a special thing because I think what we understand is you know I, I've got an opportunity to be a part of uh, young men's lives and, and create memories that Hopefully, will help them. Uh, they'll remember the rest of their lives. So I think we take a lot of pride in put, putting in the development of our uh, our players and, and also the not only the players, people that support our our program. I think I'll ask each of you to answer this question, kind of as we start wrapping up here. But um, I'll start with you, Ryan. Can you explain to someone who maybe doesn't understand? What, uh, what the football experience is like, uh, how important that is, um, just as a whole, just, just to, the, like, we talked about the community, for the, the families and the, and the kids involved, um, and why it's so important that, even going beyond the pandemic, how, why it's so important that football remain a part of our culture. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like I said, I mean, it's, uh, our goal is to, take young men and, and, and build them into great men in our in our school we, we, we say champions for life and it's a um, 
it's just it's an experience that is unlike any other sport. Um, the only thing that I could imagine is as close to it would be the military. You know, it's it's a brotherhood that that is undeniable, um, and yeah, it's something where you're truly working with the person next to you to create a goal. And you know, it's like I just for, for example, I've had multiple kids just come out and wanted to kick for us play, that, that were soccer players their whole entire life. Oh, you don't want those guys. One year of football. Yeah. <laughs> One year of football, and all of a sudden, this person that's played soccer their whole entire life is quitting soccer to concentrate on football because of the brotherhood and what goes into it. Um, and that's just one small example, but you know, I, when I when there's freshmen on campus that are walking around that aren't playing football, I literally tell them, "Come play football; it'll change your life. And it truly will, and it, it, it builds young men into great men. Um, it gives them every aspect of life: toughness, leadership, um, accountability, timeliness. I mean, you, you could say it for days and. And I know a lot of athletics can do that, but football is just a different beast. Well, hey, don't tell Paul Cronin that he shouldn't have a soccer player because I'll tell you what, he can thank a, he can thank a soccer player for winning the state championship. Well, he missed one versus Liberty last year that, that I wish he would have made early in the first quarter. But yeah, we still love him. His, 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 kid, his kid boomed some, and one of them was through a freaking storm. <laughs> That's true, Harold. You've always had a soft spot for the kickers, Harold. <laughs> yeah, I was a soccer player. I was a kicker. <laughs> uh, Justin, can you can you speak to that? To, the same question to you. Just your 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 message to people about who are maybe concerned about football and maybe maybe it's too tough of a sport. Maybe we should should tone it down or phase it out. How would you respond to that? I think uh, I get asked this a lot. I think that's the exact reason why we need football uh, you know with changing times and changing culture um, you know a little bit more of me first instant gratification um, less activity from you know from uh, young kids it's, it's just trending in a way that begs for football to be involved more than ever you know I, I played a ton of sports I love, I love all sports I love sports um, I was a baseball player in college um, ultimately though football is the, the ultimate team game because it's hard and there and you know coach Parson already talked about the dedication the camaraderie the, you know the the challenges that that come that come with being you know a great football team and being a great football player ultimately though something that really draws it to me is kids are kids need to be challenged everybody needs to be challenged but you know young men especially these Need to be challenged and football is the ultimate challenge it is a hard game it's really hard to play and it's really hard to be good at and it's really hard to create a you know a great team um, and the process that goes into it is unlike any any other thing um, baseball is very hard to be good at but it's not a hard sport so to speak um, and i play baseball i'm a bad mouth of baseball i love baseball football is the ultimate combination where it's it's an ultimate challenge uh, the conditioning the mental aspect of it the camaraderie the teamwork the moving elements, the moving parts, um, and you have to you have to humble yourself, uh, or the game humbles you, and that that, that is a, a real gift. And there's a lot of changes that are going on um, with youth where they need that. Um, I know I needed it when I was a young man, um, 
and I'm very grateful for it. That's why I'm, I'm doing the coaching that I am. And I wouldn't be the same person that I am at, you know, father to 40 years old uh, that I am without without football, without the experience that I have with football. It made, it, made, it made me more dedicated. It made me more accountable. It made me more trustworthy. It made me more reliable. And it made me um, tougher, not in that machismo way, um, mental, mentally tough. And you can... And you're going to approach a challenge, and you're going to take it head on, and you're going to no pun intended. We don't do head on and shoulder on. I guess we could say. <laughs> uh, um, you're going to take a challenge, and uh, you're going to accept the challenge, and you do the best that you can to move on. Um, and you know, kids have always needed that, and they need it now more than ever. And that's the message that I that I always that I always give them. Is there an inherent risk to playing football? Yeah, to any sport, any sport. Period. There's an inherent risk. Um, if you step outside of your front door, there's a there's a if, you know, there's a risk in doing anything. Um, for me, the benefits of playing football and the benefits of, do, uh, of, of being a part of a football play. Um, and with Paul Rossi, you alluded to it, you know, when you're talking about some of your players uh, losing contact a little bit as you're going through this, this situation. But can you speak to the, the particular challenges that you face at Wilcox with regards to, and again, the importance of, of, of the structure of football in, in the, the young people's lives that you deal with? Yeah, well, we, I mean, we talk about it a lot. We say football tells the truth. And what, what, what we mean by that, it kind of reveals toughness, character, right, and all that stuff. You can't just run your mouth and say you're tough. you got to go on the field and show that you're tough. And, and that I think nowadays you, don't, you just don't see that anymore. There isn't really anything maybe besides wrestling um, that reveals as much in that sense of character and toughness and team building as the sport of football. And that's why we say it always tells the truth because we get a ton of kids that come in, you know, thinking they're tough, but then in reality they're not tough and then they learn how to be tough and they understand really what toughness is. And I'm not really, like Coach was saying before, I'm not talking about just fighting tough. I'm talking more of mentally tough. How do you get through things when you didn't think they were going to go that way or you got your butt kicked a bunch of times? How do you, how do you come back from that? There's not a lot of things like that that we offer in life anymore. I mean, and when we were growing up, you kind of grew up on the streets that way, right? You, when you play football on the street, that would happen. You would have to prove yourself in that sense or, or figure out a way to, to get through hard times um, or just a hard moment. So I, I think that part of the game, if, if you lost football, like I said, maybe wrestling, but the, the thing about football is you're doing it together. It's almost like, you know, going to a wrestling match with 10 other guys with you. You have to have some teamwork involved where wrestling is just one-on-one. But football tells the truth. I mean, it, it, it's going to tell you exactly where you are in character and in toughness. And I don't, I don't, there's nothing else out there, especially for young men that test them in that way. And I think it would be a shame to lose something like that. Coach Cronin, let me uh, give you the last word then. Okay, yeah, I think uh, there's great points made on that. I, I think offering uh, in the education of young men and, and, and young women, for that matter, um, at the high school level, you want to give them opportunities to make choices. I'm not saying that, you know, football is better than baseball or basketball is better than football. I'm saying everybody kind of goes a certain direction because of how they were raised and what they like and what they don't like. Why would we ever eliminate an opportunity for young men 
to play this game that can give you so many lessons. I think what we, we take away when we leave um, high school is we take away, one, the people we know that cared about us. A lot of times, those are coaches. Because coaches really will bend over backwards to help assist um, their athletes in getting better and making sure their grades are up. And I think that you know is include, inclusive to football, is we're giving them an opportunity to know that they're cared about. And the second thing, and I know I want this for my own children, is you want your child tested and know that he or she has to learn how to work through something. And I think there's no no greater thing than athletics to do that. And I think, you know, football has uh, definitely some unique personalities that are drawn to that game. And a lot of those people, in my experience, have been the ones that maybe English class isn't their favorite thing. But as a coach, you can help use your um, guidance to guide them for their love of football to help them in the English class so when they're when it's all said and done they're going to have an opportunity to go to college and get a good job and make sure that they have the skills they need so I just think when we look at all sports we want to include as many people as we can in physical activity and lessons in life and I think football is one of those sports that does that and, you know and obviously it's a team sport but every sport that gets kids off their butt out in the field and working with others is a good thing in my mind well, with that, on behalf of Coach, on behalf of Nate Smith and Harold Abend, we really want to thank coaches Paul Cronin, Justin Allenbaugh, Paul Rosa, and Ryan Partridge for joining us today. Thanks again, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed part three of the Beyond the Game Future of High School Football podcast series presented by prep to prep Once again, on behalf of prep to prep content editor Nate Smith and senior editor Harold Aubin, we would like to thank our guests Justin Allenbaugh, Paul Cronin, Ryan Partridge, and Paul Rosa for joining us. Please remember to subscribe to the prep to prep Beyond the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. And don't forget to visit us at prep preptocom and follow us on Twitter at prep to prep sports and Instagram at prep to prep for all of us at Prep to Prep, we thank you for tuning in and look forward for the next episode of Beyond the Game coming soon.